Black Women to Watch is on a mission to tackle the underrepresentation of Black women. We seek to celebrate those who are power rising through the ranks by amplifying their voices and their stories. These women run companies, transform industries, and are the very backbone of our democracy. Amazing in their own right, they are distinguished leaders, and through their journey, we uncover the keys of inspiration. As Vice President Kamala Harris said, Black women are often too often overlooked. And at Black Women to Watch, we're changing the game. When was the last time you found yourself inspired by a friend, a sibling, a parent, or a grandparent? Well, today's guest has a powerful story about how a conversation on the fly with her loving grandmother spun her life into a journey that she couldn't have imagined. Dr. Desiree Desi Williams is an entrepreneur, host, actress, and physical therapist in Los Angeles, California. She recently became the co-owner of a company called A Plus Care that provides mobile therapy services. Now, Desi served as Miss Virginia USA 2016 and finished as a top 10 finalist in the 2016 Miss USA competition. Prior to winning Miss Virginia USA, she held other titles, including Miss Virginia 2013, National Sweetheart 2012, and Miss Hampton University 2011. She was also a castaway on season 13 of Survivor on CBS. You might say that Desi has not planned for the life that she lives, but instead has always worked tirelessly to ensure she is prepared to take on whatever comes her way. Let's check out her story. Desi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Lauren. We are so excited to hear from you and One thing that we always start our show with is hearing from our guests their six-word memoir. Now, these are just six words that sort of describe your life or where you are in your life today, and it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into who you really are. It can be funny, introspective, reflective, really anything that speaks to you. So let's get started. What's your six-word memoir? Okay, so I just found out about the six-word memoir, so I can't say it's like the most refined, but the first thing that popped into my head was figuring it out, but moving forward. That is so powerful. What does that mean for you? Most of my life, if you like go through my bio, it's like a series of transitions. Like I do something, and then once I feel like I've reached the pinnacle of that, then I've got to figure out something new to do. And so I have my newest venture, which is actually starting my own business with another friend of mine, who's my business partner. And it's every day we're figuring out something new to make the business move forward or to make it greater. And it's easy to become discouraged. So I just have to remind myself to keep moving forward just one day at a time. I love that so much. And I think you're right. If you look at your journey, it's this sequence of amazing pivots and it's very unexpected but they are just examples of how you've taken each day as it comes and you sort of seize the day, which I know is a quote that's really important to you. And we'll get into all of that in just a moment, but I want to start at the beginning. I think that if you look back at who someone was as they were growing up, it's a really great foreshadowing of who the person later becomes. And so I'd like to talk a minute about what inspired you, who you were as a child, what influences were prevalent in your life. And so let's just take you back to... Young Desi, growing up, 
what were some of the influences on your life, maybe women that you looked up to that made you think, you know, I really want to be like her when I grow up? I will have to say I'm really fortunate and grateful that I was raised and surrounded by just a ton of really strong, intelligent, hardworking, career-driven women. My mom was that way. My aunts were that way. My grandmother was that way. I am fortunate that's the only example I had were women who were strong and independent. And most of them were married, but didn't really need a husband. It was a husband by choice. So really those women, and especially my mother, shaped who I thought a woman should be. Like, you can want a man, but you don't need a man. You should have your own career, even if it's somebody else's career. You should start a beautiful family, but still maintain a sense of self. And so all of those things from a really young age were instilled upon me that I think, for me, there was no other way other than to chart my own path and figure out my journey. And then maybe include somebody as it goes along, but knowing that whether I do or whether I don't, I'm enough as an independent woman. Yeah, you know, far too often women are taught the exact opposite. And so major kudos to your mother and the female influences on your life who helped you identify that you are enough as your own individual person and give you that sense of drive and ambition to achieve your goals. You know, if a partner is a part of that, that's great, amazing. But I also love that very early on, they instilled in you that you don't need a partner and that's incredible. So again, major kudos to the women in your family. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Obviously, you and I know each other from Hampton University. And so when you think back to those early days at Hampton, when you were thinking about what your life would be like in your 30s, etc., are you where you thought you might be? Oh, my gosh. Um, a completely <laughs> different everything than who I am now. So I'll just start there. Like never, all the opportunities that have come my way, never in a million years did I think that's where I would be. And also starting Hampton, I was, I wouldn't say super shy, but I was fairly shy. Like I certainly wasn't the person who wanted to be the center of attention. I had my own friend group, but wasn't trying to be like the most popular girl. I, I can remember like sitting in the back of the classroom and like praying that my teachers wouldn't call on me in class because I just didn't want that attention. So to like completely 180 and now be on TV and be doing podcasts. And I was a professor. And obviously, that's like all eyes on you for the size of your classroom. Just life has taken me down roads I could have never, ever anticipated. And even the world of pageants, like I certainly grew up watching pageants. But if you grow up watching pageants, then you grow up watching a bunch of blonde haired girls win a pageant every year on TV. And so even the prospect of competing at Miss America or competing at Miss USA was not even a dream or a goal of mine. But I'm very much the type of person who's somebody tries to encourage you to do something. I have to trust that they are older and wiser and they know what works. And so I'll go for it. I'll give it a try. And it has not failed me yet. So yeah, I certainly thought at 30, I'd be in a different place. Like I thought I'd be married and I thought I'd be starting to have kids and I'd be settling down and probably live somewhere in the South. But the world has taken me many more places than I ever anticipated. And I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that because I think I had a much smaller view of who I could be than what the world has created for me. How does one make this incredible transition to competing in countless pageants, being an actress, you know, a host, so many things Walk us through how you make that transition. And as I was preparing for this conversation, it sounds like some of this started with your grandmother who may have encouraged you 
to compete in the Miss Hampton University pageant. Is that right? Look at you and your research. Yes, girl. Yeah. So I was truly a nobody at Hampton when I won Miss Hampton. Like people were like, who is this girl and where did she come from? So my senior year in high school, I went to on a college visit to Hampton and both my mom and my grandmother came with me. And just coincidentally, it was the same weekend as the Miss Hampton pageant. So we went and we sat in the audience. And at the end of the pageant, I just haphazardly said to my grandmother, like, if I come to Hampton, I'm going to be Miss Hampton University. But truth be told, I had no intention of going to Hampton. <laughs> I wanted to go to University of Georgia. That was my dream, my goal, my plan. But I ended up at Hampton. And the conversation didn't come back up until my junior year of college. I was home for Thanksgiving and my grandmother brought it up. She's like, oh, hey, aren't you supposed to do a pageant next year? And I was like, how does this lady remember? That was four years ago. But she remembered. And again, being raised by strong women, like your word is everything. So I had to be a woman of my word. I couldn't back down at that point. So the next year I competed for the pageant and I won. Yeah. Let's just take a moment to shout out all of the grandmothers who saw so much more for us than we did for ourselves. That's such an incredible story. And it's so funny because thinking back to that moment, and for those who don't know, I was one of the facilitators of the pageant. And I worked with Desi and all of the amazing contestants for this pageant to prepare for the big event. I had no idea that that was the backstory. And so this is incredible just to hear you share, um, you know, all of that. So shout out again to just anyone who played a pivotal role in being a part of your amazing story. Yeah, full circle with my grandmother, just while we're on the topic. She was always my biggest cheerleader. And I would not have done that pageant had it not been for her. She actually... The, the last time I saw her was at Miss America when I competed at Miss America. So she came to Atlantic City. She was in the audience. I saw her every night after competition. And about three weeks later, she passed away in her sleep peacefully. But I just have to think that was like her seeing out that, that final goal for me. And so it just has always been really powerful to me. But like she saw it from the beginning. She saw me reach what we thought was the pinnacle bid. I ended up competing at Miss USA a couple years later and doing better at Miss USA than at Miss America. But just the full circle story with my grandmother is like she was there from the beginning. She cheered me on, wouldn't have been there without her. And she was able to see me compete at Miss America. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's very apparent that she had just an incredible impact on your life and on your journey and so we are so grateful, those of us who just love and adore you and have seen you prosper in life, we know that moment started with her. And I love that we can honor her through this conversation. Competing in the Miss Hampton University pageant at your grandmother's wish was just the very beginning of your career in pageantry. Can you talk a little bit about, perhaps without much intention, you competed in this pageant and then it began this incredible journey. What was that like for you? I guess I have to be careful in saying I just showed up at this pageant. I am the type of person who, once I decide upon something, I do it 110%, like maybe obsessively. And I've had boyfriends in the past who are just like, you're crazy. This is unhealthy what you're doing. So I don't want people to think that I just like haphazardly showed up and won this pageant and then went to Miss America and then went to Miss USA. Like once I've decided, I do the research, I put in the work, but it did take off. There was actually a lady who worked on campus at Hampton. And I tell people all the time, Hampton has its flaws and its frustrations, but it is hands down the best life decision I have ever made because it completely changed the trajectory of my life. And this is another example of that. She was a former Miss Virgin Islands. Her name is Tasha Edder. She like would email me. She would 
call me. She would nag me. She'd be like, come stop by my office. She really wanted me to do a Miss America local. And if really just to have her stop nagging me, finally, I was like, fine, like, where do I go? When's the pageant? I'll show up. I'll do it. So that was more of a pageant where I was like, I did not prepare for this pageant really at all. But I wore the same wardrobe for Miss Hampton. I showed up. I won that pageant. And that's what took me to Miss Virginia the first year. And I was blessed with the most wonderful group of supportive people. I still keep in touch with them. They are like my second family. But they supported me in that journey to Miss Virginia. And that first year I went and I got second place. And it just changed. It changed the way I viewed myself because I never thought I'd be successful in a very whitewashed. It's a very whitewashed hobby of pageants. Obviously, I ended up competing in pageants for about Really, it seems like it's such a big chunk, but I think in total, it was probably like five years of my life. My first pageant was 2010. Miss Miss USA, I think, was 2015. So it seems like such a big chunk of my life, but I just did it hard and fast. And Yeah, I, I love it. You're the perfect example of when you put your mind to something, really anything can happen. And if we needed another data point to just prove that that is the case, all while competing in pageants, you're also pursuing a doctorate degree. You're a physical therapist. You become a professor. How did you have all the time to get everything done? Like, do you and I have the same 24 hours? What's going on? Oh, gosh. Looking back, I don't, I have no idea how I did it. But it, you're, you're right. It's a testament to like, if you put your mind to something, anything's possible. Looking back, it was insane. Like I would sleep four hours a day. I was drinking probably four or five cups of coffee a day. Because you do have to go, go, go. Like everything, all of those things separately require so much attention and time that it was definitely unhealthy, but I think worthwhile. And I do remember when I started competing for Miss Virginia the first year, it was my first year of grad school. And I always tell people my mom was like the anti-pageant mom. Like you have the moms who are like crazy pageant moms. My mom was the opposite. And we talk at least once a week. She'd be like, you don't have to do this pageant. You can quit this pageant. Because she was very concerned that I would let my schoolwork suffer. So, and again, this is just dedicating myself to the legacy of the strong women in my life. I felt pressured by her to do even better in school because she was so fearful that I wouldn't do well. Yeah, I just persevered. I created very strict calendars. I, my time management was like the best it's ever been in my life. I need to readopt some of those techniques, but I got it done and not easily, but somehow through the grace of God, I got it done. Mm. Amen to that. Yes. Okay. So I'm really fascinated by your experience as a professor. When you think back, what was it like helping to grow and develop students who were in your shoes just a few years prior you know, I think it's this remarkable testament to the love that you have for Hampton University and how it had such a profound impact on your life. What would you say was sort of your, your biggest lesson as a professor? Oh, gosh, so many. And some I didn't learn, I think, until after the fact. Because it was a catch-22 kind of career. I, my undergraduate degree is in education. I love education. I love engaging with students. But there was also this fine line because I wasn't much older than the students, especially because I, I, I was a director of a leadership institute, but I also was an assistant professor in the physical therapy department. So I literally had students who were older than me. So it's tough because it's we are peers, but we're not peers. And I want to be cool with you, but I have to be strict with you because 
you're not operating at your greatest potential. And so it really took me back to some of the professors I had in college who I hate, I hated them the most at the time, the Dr. Davies of the world who would challenge you and put you on an uncomfortable situation so she could watch you grow and flourish. Like I hated those professors, but I found myself being that type of professor because in retrospect, I realized that is who created the successful woman who I now was. But it was tough because it was like, I also want to be your friend because you're cool and I like your personality. And I think outside of the context of education, like we would be friends. But I think what I learned after the fact is I almost wish I had a little bit more compassion for the students. I realized even as difficult as things were when you and I were in college in terms of like societal pressures and peer pressure, I think it's 10 times worse for students now. And I don't think I was always super sensitive to that. I'm a very deadline oriented person, very much like, here's your syllabus, here's your rubric. I told you exactly what I expected and you did not deliver, but I wish I would have taken more time to appreciate their struggles outside of the classroom. When you and I were coming through Hampton University, social media wasn't what it is today, and the world was in a much different place. You and I are not old by any stretch of the imagination, but things are just vastly different from when we were in school at Hampton University. And so when you think back to the day that you decided to hang up your shoes as a professor and make a drastic shift by moving to Los Angeles, California, what inspired such a drastic shift? I, it's something I sort of danced along around for a, a while. It always felt like I was too young, especially in a town like Hampton, where if I go out and my students go out, we're, I'm gonna, we're going to run into each other. There just aren't enough options of places to go for me to have any semblance of social life without running into a student. And of course, camera phones were prevalent at the time, so they always want to take a selfie when they run into their professor. So that was one of the impetus. But really the major turning point for me happened while I was out on Survivor. I remember sitting around the fire one night with some of my castmates where I realized that I was not happy. Despite on paper everything looking beautiful and perfect, I don't think I had really any internal happiness. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. I think I was 26 or 27 years old at the time. Why would you be miserable and unhappy when you don't have to be? So I got back from Survivor and I think three months later, I moved to LA just to try something new because you only live once and life is short and I didn't want to have any regrets or continue to be as unhappy as I was in that moment. And to be fair, and this is really the first time I've ever thought of it in this context, it may have not even been in this like... It may have been me just like running away in retrospect, which I don't know. We all cope with things differently. And I always, I have to be careful because I don't want to paint. I talk to young girls all the time and I feel like they're always seeing these stories and they're thinking like, oh, you were so brave and you were so happy and that's so great. But I think in this instance, I was running away. Like I wasn't happy and I didn't know what to do. And I had thought about LA, but I was scared of LA. So it was brave in the sense that I, I packed up, I owned a three bedroom condo in Virginia and I just packed up two suitcases, got rid of everything else and moved to LA. It's brave in that sense. But I also want people to realize that like the success 
And the big jump and the move is not what brings happiness. So I have to be careful to like not project that onto whoever is listening. Uh, that just because you make a big jump or a big move or you follow your dreams does not mean that happiness necessarily follows. There's additional self-work that has to happen for you to realize that personal joy. So I just wanted to pause and say that because I know that people interpret things in different ways. And I don't want that to be lost on anyone that you can just go for it and happiness will be there. Because it's, it's, it's not that simple. And it has not been that simple. As, as great as LA has been, it's been humbling and it's been challenging. And I've questioned whether that was the right move. So sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think you're right. There's a lot of internal work. There's really no perfect city. There's no perfect job. And it takes a lot of reflection and self-evolution and development. And I think your honesty of where you are in that journey and how LA has been great, but there's also been some hard moments. It's important for everyone to hear that. So I appreciate you taking a moment of pause. And so now that you're in LA, what is next for you? I really don't know what else there is left for you to do because it seems like you've done it all. But what's up next for you when you think about what you want out of this next chapter? What are some of the things that you're planning for? So at this point, LA is obviously a very expensive city. And so I've created my own company. I've got a business partner. We are in the very early stages, but we're building and we're growing. Um, and I'm hoping to create, I don't want to say a legacy, like that sounds so, I don't know, pompous almost. But I do want to create a legacy and we're starting a home health agency, mostly because in working in LA, I see a very clear disparity in the healthcare that people of color receive versus people who are of, or even it's more along the socioeconomic classes, but it can be along the color lines as well. Like the wealthier people are and the wider they are, the better care they receive. So it's important for me to create a home health agency that truly is colorblind. And I'm not saying like, I'm only going to help black people or only going to help people of color. I want everybody to just receive the same standard of care. And of course, I want to make a profit as well. That's obviously why people go into business too. So th that's my newest, biggest challenge and probably the most challenging thing I've done up until this point, because it's not just about me. Like I'm putting my trust in a business partner. I'm putting my trust even in like my employees. And that's been the toughest thing for me because I know my standard is so high. And I often, this was my kind of flaw in being a professor as well, that I don't realize that everybody's stand, everybody does not think like me. They don't work like me. Their standard is not as high as mine and trying to balance that challenge with still being profitable is where I am now. So it's exciting. It's another big challenge that I'm figuring out every single day. Well, I am so excited for you and excited to see how you and your business partner create magic. I'm so confident that you have a proven track record of everything that you touch literally turns to gold. So I know nothing will be short of amazing with this next business venture. And I'm excited to watch what is to come for you. And before we end today, one last question. When you think about your future and you think about the impact that your journey and the things that you've accomplished in your life will have on the next generation, you've already started to give back by literally helping to develop students at Hampton University. And naturally your work through pageantry, 
You've inspired so many young women and men through just the platforms that you've represented and the many things that you've done. You've written a book. You've really just done a lot. So when you think about the next generation and anyone who's watching your journey, anyone who's listening to this episode, what is it that you hope to just share and inspire? You know, I think if you would have asked me this five years ago, it would have just been like, inspire, dream, go after it. But I think in many ways, a lot of our mindsets have shifted and mine certainly has, that it's not always just about the success. It's also about the personal enjoyment. And so I travel a ton. My grandmother had a saying, again, going to my same grandmother, had a saying, you have to play as hard as you work. And it's, she says it specifically that way, because you have to work hard in order to play hard. You can't just play hard. But if you're going to work hard, you also need to enjoy yourself. So I, I want people to see that. I, I just want to be real. And I want people to realize that the success doesn't come easy. All days are not joyous. It's like, but joy will come in the morning, which is like a, a Bible verse, but it's true. It's, you just have to keep moving forward and every day won't be perfect. And every day you won't be smiling ear to ear and you won't always feel like you're on the right path. But if you make a series of good decisions and you're good to people, good things will come back to you. And I think that's ultimately what I want people to remember and to know and to take from my story. Desi, I want to just say thank you so much for your authenticity. I think throughout this conversation and through the many years that I've known you, one thing has been constant. It's that you are on this path of your own sort of discovery and you use your life experiences to help others along the way. And I appreciate that. And I believe that especially in the city that you live in, and I think in the industries that you've been in, you don't always see that authenticity and it's just the richness that you bring to every conversation, everything that you do and share with this world. And I've said before, I'm personally inspired by you, but I know that so many are as well. And so thank you for sharing your story. As we think about those who are listening, who want to get in touch with you or want to stay in tune for what's to come next, what's the best way for them to follow your journey? I'm pretty accessible on Instagram. My Instagram is Desi J. Williams. On my Instagram, there's also like links to, you can message me. My new business page is A plus care LA plus spelled out LA. So I'd love if people would follow and share and you know, I'm still trying to grow that business. It's my new little baby. And that's the best way to keep up with what I'm doing. But I'm always an open book. I'm always, if I see the message willing to talk, if it goes into my other inbox, I may not. So don't uh, hate me. But I do try to be as supportive and helpful for anybody who reaches out as I can be. We look forward to following you on your channels. And frankly, we're just going to keep the TV on because at some point we know you're going to pop up there. We're so excited to just stay plugged into everything that you've got going on. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. We are just delighted by this conversation and everything that you've inspired us to do. And one of the things that I'm going to take with me today is being mindful of working hard, but also playing equally as hard as you learn from your grandmother. So thank you for that. I, I definitely look forward to taking that with me. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Black Women to Watch. We hope that you're leaving with helpful nuggets of inspiration that can propel you even further into your journey. Now, if you like what you heard, take a moment to follow us on Instagram at Black Women to Watch and leave a comment sharing your feedback on this episode. 
and also share this episode with all of your friends so that they can be a part of the conversation as well. If you have an idea of a guest that we need to host on this show, be sure to visit our website at www.blackwomen2watch or hit us up in the DMs on Instagram and let us know who we need to invite on this show because we're always looking for more transformational inspiration that can help us all in our journey. Another episode is on the way next week, but until then, stay inspired. Stay inspired.